This is In Residence, Conversations from Town Hall. I'm Steve Scher. Can we think our way out of our current ecological box? MacArthur Genius Awardee, environmental scientist Ruth DeFries has some hope. She writes about the cyclical nature of human history in her book, The Big Ratchet, How Humanity Thrives in the Face of Natural Crisis. Humans have overcome many a crisis, but there's always another one looming. Right now, there are many acres devoted to food production around the world. That's how we can feed the billions on the planet. But there's less room for everything else. Now, facing global habitat loss, climate change, the need to feed ever more urbanizing humans, can we do it again? Ruth DeFries spoke at Town Hall. We met for our interview at the Sorrento Hotel. We were sitting outside with the buzz of urban life all around us. The big ratchet was uh, the last couple of decades when all of these pivots collided. We uh, have synthetic nitrogen for fertilizer, irrigation, uh, manipulation of genetics, uh, pesticides, all of these ways that we figured out how to manipulate nature and they all collided in the last 50 years and led to this explosive, explosive growth in the amount of food that we can uh, produce, which even outpaced on a global scale the very big increase in population. And that brings us to the hatchets that we're currently living with from this big ratchet of the last 50 years or so. Climate change, habitat loss, deforestation. Inequitable distribution of, of the abundance that we've created. You said this is about abundance and not scarcity where we're at today. I think a lot of the problems that we face today, the hatchets that this big ratchet has created, are related to abundance. In the, in the past, many of the hatchets have been about shortages, but today we see a lot of problems resulting from, from the abundance. As I just said, the inequitable distribution, obesity, too much nitrogen fertilizer running into waterways like we've seen in Toledo, uh, too much greenhouse gases going into the atmosphere. So a lot of our issues today are around the problems created by abundance. So, but the book's argument is, so we're smart enough to get into the mess, so we should be smart enough to get out of it. But you say we're at a, we've hit the pause button right now? Well, I think we're at a pivot point right now. Uh, we can never tell the future. Uh, I would never try to project the future. There have been many projections of the future that didn't turn out the way that they were projected in the past, most famously Malthus. Uh, so I, we'll, we'll never know what, what can happen in the future. But I think we are at a major pivot point. We've transformed now into an urban species. We have all of this abundance, and it's really up to us to devise those next pivots which uh, to, to uh, overcome these problems. Are, are there pivots that you have in mind from the work you've been doing that you think policymakers could understand? Well, some of these pivots um, are slowly starting to turn. Uh, one is the attention that people are paying to diets. At least some people are pay paying to what we eat and how that affects the planet and how that affects our health uh, simultaneously. So that's a very big um, uh, pivot that, it, that is slowly starting to turn. Uh, there's more and more attention to how we can grow our food more efficiently with, uh, with less fertilizer, more efficient use of water, um, 
so these these are some of the pivots that are that are people are starting to think very seriously about. Waste is another big opportunity for a pivot. About half of the food is grown in the world is wasted one way or the other. So uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there as well. When you looked into the past and you saw the ratchet, the hatchet, the pivot, what were the motivations for that pivot? It was usually uh, economic. It was just because people were hungry. It was because just desperation. What were the motivations for the pivots of the past? That's a great question. All kinds of reasons. Some just quirky accidents. One of the really quirky stories in the book is about the Rocky Mountain locust. That uh, that locusts, as currently plague West Africa and other parts of the world periodically and decimate the crops, that used to happen in our own Midwest. Uh, you know, the Laura Ingalls Wilder stories, Little House on the Prairie. Uh, there are some incidents of uh, locust plagues. So that was a big problem for the settlers going across the, settling the, the prairie. And by absolute quirk, uh, which was, the this, this story was unraveled by an, by an entomologist, uh, Jeffrey Lockwood, uh, in Montana, that uh, the, 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 those locusts, went extinct because settlers planted their crops next to streams, which was precisely where the locust breeding grounds occur. So it was a complete accident. So there are some quirky reasons why these pivots occur. Uh, Much of it has to do with profit seeking. Uh, Much of it has to do, some of it has to do with repurposed war technologies uh, such as uh, nitrogen, which was used for explosives, to make explosives, which was then repurposed after uh, World War II in the United States. Similarly with, uh, with DDT was, uh, was used for, um, for controlling malaria and typhus outbreaks in World War II and then was repurposed for agricultural uses. Some of it has to do with uh, scientific discoveries like Mendel, uh, the father of genetics, whose results lay dormant for, for decades until they were rediscovered and then applied for um, producing hybrids, which had such a major effect on corn production in this country. So all sorts of reasons. So then, then you're thinking going forward, is there maybe the reason you were thinking about and wrote this book is because you didn't want people to be mired in this pessimism or optimism, but even clear-headed we have to know that, I mean, one step forward, maybe one or two steps backward for every action we take. How does that help us to uh, understand the next pivot point? I think it helps us recognize that there are no silver bullets, that whatever solution we might devise um, is going to have some problems that come along with it, and then we'll be figuring out another solution. So it helps us get away from thinking that if only we can find that silver bullet, then we'll be okay. Because there really will never be a silver bullet with this massive manipulation of nature that we, we have um, undertaken. And it also shows us that our, um, our real resources are our ingenuity to overcome these, devise these next pivot points. So we always need that ingenuity. And we always need to be expecting problems from the solutions that we devise. And that's critical, right? Expect problems from the solutions we devise. GMOs may be good. They may not be good. 
what we do know is that there will be an outcome. I think changes are happening so fast today and the consequences are so global that uh, in one way we are in a race to find the next pivots. Uh, to me, one of the really major pivots is the issue of diets and, um, and this obesity, which is spreading throughout the world, not just in the U.S. and Europe and the industrialized world, but throughout the developing uh, world. So there we, that's also a situation where, um, where changing diets is also a benefit for, our, for people's health. Well, hatchet and ratchet again is one of the reasons we've seen a rise in obesity is because people are eating more processed foods and producing less of their own foods or producing less of foods that they eat and don't sell. So, I mean, aren't, aren't, we, aren't they following down that same path that the developed world followed down? And if so, you know, do they have the capacity to produce their own food, feed themselves, still be a part of the market, the global market? Well, I don't think that we have to produce our own food to eat healthy food. The change in diets is really about people eating more oils, people eating more sugars, which have become inexpensive, and people like them, and that's human nature. That goes back to our evolutionary past to like high-fat, high-calorie um, foods like oils and, and sugars. You're, you're looking at this from from a bird's eye view, right? Here's the, here's the historic patterns we've gone through. Here's this historic pattern because of all the reasons you just said. Oils, sugar, cheap. People are urbanizing. Processed foods are cheaper. Factories produce it. So what's the, I mean, here in the West, we see a change, but that change comes because we have abundance and for many people, but not all people, wealth. Of course, when I go by the food bank, I still see people getting bags of food. A lot of that is starched and processed and sugars. So, you know, it's all—it's a. We don't. We're not talking about the concerns of the wealthy in this, right? And we don't want to be. So, how do? What are the? I guess again, I come back. What are the pivots that you see? This is really hard. I know we've created a society where the inexpensive diet is the unhealthy diet. Is there is there a carrying capacity for the earth? Do you think? Uh, caring capacity is a useful ecological concept when it's applied to other species, but when we apply it to humans, it becomes very, very complicated because we have all of this ingenuity and technology, which continuously increases the caring capacity. That's the amount of food that we can produce for us, for, for us, for humans. Uh, we also have trade, which can increase the carrying capacity of, of a particular place by bringing food from elsewhere. So, uh, so carrying capacity becomes very murky when we apply it to our species. Yeah, but for wildlife, for the more complex life on the planet, for corals and, and the like, uh, our pivots don't necessarily take their... Uh, existence into into account. How do we how do we bring that into the equation, or can we? Well, the loss of biodiversity, what you're referring to, um, is one of the major hatchets that our ingenuity and our drive to abundance has uh, has created. And we know from our history how important biodiversity is for our 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 ourselves, our food supply, for the diversity of um, 
diversity of crop varieties and all of the plant breeding that has gone, gone on in the past. So diversity is a foundation for life on Earth and our life support system on the planet. Uh, and what we are currently doing is, is uh, destroying much of that, uh, that biodiversity. Uh, also, just for the pure value of this millions and millions of years of evolutionary history that when we lose a species, it is an irreversible uh, loss. So, well, part, so part, of the, part of the pivot is to think about ways that we can maintain nature, produce enough food, and conserve enough space for other species as well. Not just because they're important for us, which they are, but because this is the incredible, amazing aspect of the planet that we live on. A lot of the work you do is with satellite imagery, yes? So when you look down on the Earth using the satellite imagery, where are the, uh, the hopeful bits of mappage that you see? Where are things that you see that are giving you some uh, sense that we are pivoting? Looking down at the Earth on satellites is what really led me to, to this book, that we see our imprint everywhere, and it's mostly about growing food to feed our 7 billion plus uh, population. So our imprint really is everywhere, that you, you, almost everywhere. Uh, and you can see that from satellite, from looking out of airplane windows, everywhere, everywhere that, that, uh, that we look. Some of the um, pivots that I, I find hopeful are, for instance, what's happened in Brazil in the last eight or nine years. The deforestation has reduced by some 70%, and there's uh, you know, a treasure trove of um, biodiversity in, in the, uh, the Amazon rainforest. So that was also a lot of hard work, didn't happen automatically, a lot of policy, a lot of monitoring, a lot of effort on the part of the Brazilian government, uh, and, uh, and that's Again, there's no guarantee of what might happen in the future, that those deforestation rates might go up, but, but we've seen some success with that. So that shows that it is possible uh, to, uh, to turn around and to um, provide space for nature. Ruth DeFries is at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. In her work, she tracks landscape transformation using detailed satellite imagery. She's the author of The Big Ratchet. This is In Residence, Conversations from Town Hall. I'm Steve Scher.